well, it's a new decade, but just because it's this the 2020s decade, that doesn't mean it's too late to make my best and worst films of the 2010s. 2010 to 2019. Now, I want to take my time with both the best and worst of the decade and really think about this before I even decide to create a video about this. And I've picked 10 favorites, 10 least favorites, but let's not, let's just start it off with my favorite films of the decade. And before I get started, to be sure in the comment section down below to tell me some of your favorite movies of the last decade. Do you agree or disagree with some of mine? Be sure to follow all my social media links in the description down below, as well as hit that subscribe button for more epitastic stuff coming as well. And also, if you want to donate any money to the channel, you message me privately on Gmail, and I will send you my 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 chime approval number for you to do that. But with that being said, let's get started with my best movies of the 2010s. Making this was tough, but I picked all some good ones. And some there are some controversial ones here, even honorable mentions. So before I get into those top 10 movies of the decade, I do have these honorable mentions. Captain Marvel, controversial MCU movie, but I personally like it. Godzilla 2014, the movie that got me back into the Godzilla craze. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Say what y'all want about it, I personally like it. Prometheus. Spider-Man Homecoming. Skyfall. Disney's Frozen. I almost really wanted to put this in my favorite movies of the decade because how much of a surprise this was. But however... There was another animated film that surprised me even more. X-Men Days of Future Past. Tron Legacy. David Fincher's American version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And Wonder Woman. Another movie I really wanted to put on here, but it just couldn't fit the list. But what did make my list are these 10 movies. Number 10 is Room. This came out in 2015, and it was a really great film, and it shows why Brie Larson is a very talented actress. A lot of people will look at Brie Larson with the Captain Marvel co comments that she said and be like, no, she's a terrible actress. She shouldn't have won that Oscar. And she won Oscars and Golden Globe for her performance, and the performance is well-deserved. Is it the most easiest movie to watch? No. Does it do, does it get sad at times? Yes, it gets really sad at times. But the performances were really great. Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay and a lot of the performances. I thought Lenny Abramson's direction was really nice. I thought the story was well told for a movie being based on a book by a by the writer or the author. And A24 really delivered here as far as this film goes. Room is just one of those movies that you can't watch it every day, but I would say you can rewatch it if you feel like you want to watch a film with Brie Larson. And this is a movie I definitely will be going back to. Number 9, 12 Years a Slave. For the longest time, I did not watch 12 Years a Slave when it came out. And I held off almost until the end of the decade to watch this movie. And the reason why I held off so long from watching 12 Years a Slave was because of the slavery subject member. And because of its overly cruelty moments. And I just had to give myself some time before I even decide, chose to watch 12 Years a Slave. Because... This is a movie that not everybody is going to watch again. And it only took me until 2018 of Christmas break to get to watching 12 Years a Slave. And 
I get the praise that 12 Years a Slave has, get, has gotten. Chiwado, EGO4, Benedict Cumberbatch, Paul Dano, Alfred Woodard, Lupita Nyong'o, who should have gotten an Oscar for Jordan Peele's Us, but unfortunately, it got snubbed. All great, all great performances in here. The story is not the easiest story to watch, and you are not going to find yourself saying, hey, let's put on 12 Years a Slave every day. But when I watch this movie, and I will be reviewing this for Black History Month next month. So, 12 Years a Slave, considering the fact I was nervous going into this one, I came out watching this movie on DVD, pleasantly surprised with 12 Years a Slave, and I'm kind of ha- glad I watched it, but at the same time, I'll have to watch this again when I'm in the right mood because of the slavery moments. Number 8, Blade Runner 2049. Now, this was a sequel of the 30 years in the making uh, to the original Blade Runner in 1982, which I love. And 2049 had a lot to live up to. And it delivered in not only what it set out to do, but what it wanted to do. This movie told a different story. I like the fact that we followed Ryan Gosling's K and Ana de Armas' Joy. Harrison Ford doesn't come into the movie until the second half of the film, which I like the fact that this and the new Star Wars movies put the original characters aside to focus on new characters. And Denis Villeneuve, great filmmaker, I cannot wait for his two-part duology of Dune, starting with the first half in this December. This is a magnificent work of art, from its direction, to its script, to its music, to its performances. A lot of people look at this movie and say it's pretentious, and they just fall asleep for some reason. And the movie didn't do as high as the box office. I'm not sure if it's because it was the release date or the marketing or the fact that people, a lot of people went into this movie thinking it was going to be an action movie. And you didn't get an action movie. What we got was a two hour and 46, 44 minute excellent film that makes you think. And... It deliver on its promise. I could go on and on for 2049, but I don't want to be here all day because I still have the worst movies of the decade to do. But Blade Runner 2049 is a, is phenomenal. Number seven, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I didn't see this movie when it came out, but when the trailers and stuff was being released for this movie, I said I've got. I want to go see it, see it, and I did. I didn't see this movie until I got the DVD, and when I got the DVD, I easily enjoyed myself watching the film. I liked this a lot more than Rise of the Planet of the Apes because Rise of the Planet of the Apes put the Planet of the Apes series back on full mode. Matt Reeves and the two writers from the first film, they managed to create a great story for a sequel. This is the Empire Strikes Back of the Planet of the Apes trilogy, Caesar's story. Andy Serkis should have gotten an Academy Award nomination. Andy Serkis should have gotten an Oscar nomination for his motion capture record, but apparently that's not going to happen. The cast, the human characters, you feel for both sides because they both want their own way of life. Koba and Gary Oldman as the two bad guys on the human side and the ape side is really good. You get the motivation on why Koba hates humans. And that final battle between Koba and Caesar is where as well as the attack on the humans. Very well done scenes. Very well done scenes on their part. There's a lot more to say about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but I've already reviewed the film on my channel, so you can go check that review out. So, let's get started.
In sixth place is Marvel's The Avengers. This was huge when it was first announced because everyone was like, How? you're putting all these Marvel characters into one film. And this was a big responsibility, not only Marvel's part, not only Kevin Feige's part, but also on Joss Whedon's part. Because if this didn't work, it would have been the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, little did we know, when the film came out, Avengers just took everyone by surprise. And it delivered one of the greatest comic book movies, if not the greatest comic book movies of all time. From its simplicity, to its characters, to... The performances of his cast, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hilston, to his villain, even to the last half of this movie with that final battle in New York City. It's, it's a really good film. And the Avengers, I don't know much more to say when it comes to the Avengers because there's been a lot to say about this. And... Thankfully, this did make a lot of money, and it has continued this Marvel Cinematic Universe into the 2020s with the upcoming Black Widow, The Eternals, Shang-Chi, and The Legend of Ten Rings, etc., etc. And it spawned three really great sequels, Age of Ultron, Infinity War, and Endgame. So... Thank you, Joss Whedon, and thank you, Kevin Feige, for delivering a crossover. That is pretty awesome. We're in the top five now. And so, number five, we have Christopher Nolan's Inception from 2010. This movie, we all knew that Chris, Chris Nolan was going to make something really cool. Chris Nolan, Christopher Nolan is a director that I very much have a lot of respect for. Especially since he brought back the Batman series with the Dark Knight trilogy. But Inception, this is my favorite film that's non-Batman related. Because it is a movie that is smart, it's clever, and it makes you think. Some people will say that it makes your head hurt, but... Because of all the mind trippy things that goes on. And I admit, it, I did get a little confused when I first watched Inception on cable. But the mind trippy scenes and the idea of your mind being at the scene of the crime was pretty nice to go in that direction. And direction. And the way that the film is shot, the way it's presented, I do, I do like that. And Leonardo DiCaprio, Ellen Page, Michael Caine, all the performances in the movie were really well done. I do like Hans Zimmer's score. And cinematography work is really impressive, as well as special effects work. And this is a film that doesn't really need a sequel, because it's great just the way it is. Number four, another controversial, just one of another controversial one, Mid Ari Aster's Midsummer. This came. This was the second horror film that came out last year from the director of Hereditary. And it, of course, is an A24 film. And coming from a guy who, at first, w when I saw, when I looked at Hereditary, the first time I looked at Hereditary, I thought it was good, but it wasn't great. Then the second time I watched Midsommar, I mean Hereditary, I, I instantly fell in love with it. Midsommar, though... This is a movie that is pretty divisive towards a lot of people. You, so a lot of movie, movie goers and audiences really like it, and a lot of movie goers really hate it. I'm in the I'm in the side of who, that likes Midsommar. It's not for everyone due to due to its ambitious storytelling and what this movie is trying to go for. I get what Ari Aster wanted to do in his direction and his writing with dealing with grief and dealing with 
this these two characters, Danny and Christian, played by Florence Pugh and Jack Renoir, who are in a relationship, and Christian wants to break up with her, and they all go on on a little trip to Sweden for this night, this little cult that is held every nine years, and. I got it. I got what the movie was trying to do. It is. It does stick close to its R rating. It is pretty scary. It is pretty intense. There are some moments that you're gonna be like, gonna be shocked. You're gonna be like, what just happened? But I personally love Midsommar. I haven't watched it since I first watched it last year, and I stand by my grade with. The rating that I gave this movie, which was the Spider Verse seal of approval, into the top three favorites of the 2010s decade. Number three, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. I've talked about this movie when it first came out. Spoiler and non-spoiler. I talk about this the extended cut of the movie, which is one of my most popular uploads. At seeing at a 1.4k views. I've talked about this for his one year anniversary back in 2017. And the reason why I like this movie so much is because it was trying to do, trying to be, be something that a lot of people didn't really get. I, I get the criticisms when it comes to the theatrical version of the version of Batman vs Superman, which was released which was two hours and 32 minutes long, which I do get it. Some of the story doesn't make sense. Some of the Justice League setup isn't needed. And the editing, of course, it, the editing is not edited correctly. And that's mostly to Warner Brothers and their studio interference. Instead of releasing the three hour and two minute R-rated cut, which would have helped this movie make money more money than it should have at the boss office and at least gotten somewhat positive reviews but i like the fight between batman and superman ben affleck and henry cavill i don't expect to see ben affleck and henry cavill reunite for another dceu movie now that robert Pattinson is our new batman i liked henry cavill as superman i like what they were trying to do with him and i enjoyed gal gadot's wonder woman Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, he's a little too over the top, but I do get some enjoyment out of his performance to a certain extent. And the action was fun. Zack Snyder knew was was trying to do something different, and in many ways, a lot of people hate him for this. And Men of Steel, but Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice was my favorite film of 2016. And I still very much like it. I'm. In the runner-up, another superhero movie, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. I'm gonna be completely honest. When they announced, when they announced Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I was not anticipating it at all, especially from the teaser trailer. In the, I was like, how is this gonna work? Then, when the later trailers came out, and when I found out what they were going for, and who was all behind the film. I became interested of this idea of multiple Spider-Mans and not just one Spider-Man can wear the mask. I love Miles Morales seeing an, a different Spider-Man who is not only black but also Puerto Rican in the comics. I enjoy that. With Miles Morales, Shamik Moore was a great choice. I liked Jake Johnson and Chris Pine as the version of Spider-Man who is more older and is aging. Haley Steinfeld's Gwen Stacy, I loved. She was my favorite character in the movie besides Miles Morales. Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir was really nice. I liked John Mulaney. I liked the Penny Parker and the Spider-Man robot. A lot of surprises, a lot of fun-filled moments, and it does feel like a, you're watching a comic book coming to life. It's terms of his animation style, with all the comic book words and all that. And the soundtrack is really nice too. And this deserved his Oscar nomination for best animated feature back in 2019. 
I'm very happy this and Black Panther got some Oscar nominations, which is put a smile on my face. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, I, I do have to wait to 2022, but Spider-Verse 2 should be fun. But, for my favorite movie of the last decade, it's no secrets. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Come on, now. You really expected me to make a best of the decade and not include Harry Potter on here? When this was coming out in 2011, this was huge for me, especially because I am one of the biggest Harry Potter fans out there. I've read all the books, I've rewatched all the movies multiple times. And when the trailers and this were coming out, and when I finally saw this movie when it, in 2011, this was it for me. This was the end of an era. Until Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out in 2016. But Deathly Hallows Part 2 did, did exactly what it set out to do. It picked up from Deathly Hallows Part 1, which was a slow burn, but I perfectly loved it. Deathly Hallows Part 1 to Deathly Hallows was the setup. This is the final battle. And it reminds me a lot of Return of the King and Avengers Endgame, which also took notes from both... Return of the King and this movie. Voldemort, it was really on the loose in this movie. You get more backstory between him and Harry Potter. The connection, why Harry's mom sacrificed her life for her, for her only son. And you get some interesting backstory on Severus Snape, which this is easily... Alan Rickman, the late Alan Rickman's best performance of the entire series. And if it was up to me, I feel like the Deathly Hallows part 2 should have been nominated for Best Picture. Because this was the final film in a long-running series, but I guess because they changed directors, it didn't happen. Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, they have came a long way since the first movie for movie and this movie they had to put their life on the line not only deliver delivering their emotional performances but as well as as well as just given given all they had especially Daniel Radcliffe and the final battle between Voldemort and Harry is way better than it was in the book you have them jumping off the balcony and then them falling down to the entrance of Hogwarts and then when Harry just snaps the other wand is really well done. And the, and the 19 years later scene at the end, I almost started crying right then and there when I first watched it because the 19 years later it's a nice callback to the first movie where they're at the train station and you have Harry and Ron and Hermione and all the students from Hogwarts growing up and having their kids go on to 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 Hogwarts and Deathly House Part 2 was just so satisfying I can talk about Deathly House Part 2 for hours, but those are some of my favorite movies of the 2010s. Let me know what you guys think about this list down below. Do you like it? Do you not like it? All my social media links in the description box down below. And you guys keep it cool and join the epic askness. Stick around for the worst movies of the decade. Bye-bye. Oh boy, 
What is going on everyone? It's Joshua aka Future Filmmaker 3940 Reviews where we talk films, TV, and music. Since I talk about my favorite films the last decade, it only makes sense to do the absolute bullcrap movies of last decade. Now, fair warning here, you will not be seeing the Emoji movie here on this list because I did not see it. I avoid it like the plague. And this is going to be an interesting, if controversial, top 10 list. And fair warning, there will be times where I do get pretty heated throughout. And if you like any of these movies on here, that's fine. If you love some of these, if you think they're better than what I, people giving them credit for, that's fine. Some of these I were anticipating, some of these I was curious, and some of them I was pretty let down, or one in particular I wasn't really interested in. So it, just because I hate most of hate mo the movies that are listed on this list does not mean I hate every movie. For some weird reason, people think just because I hate certain movies on here, I hate every movie. No, it is hard making a movie, but I'm willing to give you credit if you put your all into it. But yeah, this is easily my personal top 10 picks. Be sure to tell me in the comments below what are some of your least favorite films of the 2010s era. And with that being said, before I go into the actual top 10 list, of what I personally consider to be the worst films of this entire decade, there will be some honorable mentions. And don't expect Vampire Suck to be on this list because it Vampire Suck does have flaws, but for some reason I kind of like the movie, if only for Jim Prosk. But here are my dishonorable mentions. Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, Boring Film, Hellraiser Judgments, Stop Making These Hellraiser Movies, They're Not Good Anymore, Last Good One Was Hellraiser 4, Paranormal Activity 6, The Ghost Dimensions, Blah Blah, The Amazing Spider-Man, You Tried to Be The Sam Raimi Movies and You Failed With a with a sledgehammer and you completely forgotten what people really loved about the Spider-Man character in the first place. Thankfully we got Spider-Verse, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Far From Home to cleanse this movie out of our brains because this was absolutely atrociously horrendous. But not as horrendous as Hellboy 2019 Shouldn't have, should have gotten a Hellboy 3 instead of this absolute train wreck. M. Night Shyamalan, The Last Airbender. As a fan of the Avatar The Last Airbender TV show, this sucks as a film adaptation. As a movie on its own terms, it's not the worst thing ever. But this is a complete bad film. Then, Ghostbusters 2016 as another dishonorable mention. So lame and not funny. This, hopefully, Ghostbusters Afterlife is a better movie than this. Because if you have one more shot, Sony, to give us a true Ghostbusters 3. And last but certainly not least, Transformers The Last Frickin' Night. The only Transformers movie I do not like. Yeah, I did. I do still have positives. I do like the music. I do like the acting. I do like the action, and I do like the effects. But the story, editing, the character, the characterization, all of that is non-existent. And this, luckily, Bumblebee got got me invest back into the Transformers series because The Last Night almost killed me from watching another Transformers movie in this franchise. 
luckily we're getting sequel to Bumblebee as well as Transformers Beast Wars. But those are all of my dishonorable mentions. All terrible, boring movies just cannot make it onto this list. But my number 10 is Nick Cannon Strikes with his directorial debuts of School Dance. Don't get me wrong, when I saw a trailer for this back in 2013, it actually looked pretty promising. It was actually funny from the trailer. You had Nick Cannon writing and directing this movie, and you have a good cast too. Mike Ebbs, Bobby J. Thompson, George Lopez, Wilder Valmarana, Christina DeBarge, Amber Rose, even Kevin Hart in his little short screen time as OG Pre-Thug. And then when I saw the movie, not only did, did I not laugh, except for a few times, but I was so offended by the usage of the N-word in this movie. I know this is a black rom-com, black film with a black cast for the most part. I know this is a comedy and I know this is already a raunchy, but I do not want to hear the N-word every five minutes in the comedy. And then, if I'm sitting there not laughing at any of your freaking sexual jokes that you want to put in this movie, then I ha we have a serious problem. The only good things in this movie were, were the performances of his cast. There were a few moments in School Dance that I actually laughed. And the soundtrack for School Dance wasn't sat that bad. But, I... And not a fan of the school dance, and then not to mention, not to mention, the the freaking hater dance song is so annoying. Number nine, fans forced it. This is easily one of the worst comic book movies I have ever seen. Say what you will about the two Tim Story Fantastic Four movies, but they at least respected this Fantastic Four property they at least know who these characters are and it treated the fantastic four like a family and it actually got dr doom right in some to a certain extent where this movie josh trank and a promising young director and a great cast of miles teller michael b jordan kate mara jamie bell toby cabell and then promising trailers this could have been the first great Fantastic Four movie. But then when you hear news about how the studio just came in and messed with the director's vision, they cut the budget in half, so he had to cut most of his action scenes out. You can definitely tell that there are things missing because when you watch the movie itself, it is an absolute train wreck. And not only is it a train wreck, Doctor Doom looks off hilariously bad the effects look like something out of a playstation one video game and this movie is devoid of any action or humor there's no fun there's no sense of humor in this movie you try to be what the dark knight and the amazing spider-man tried also try to be and you failed because the movie didn't do well to boss office and you tried to sell up a sequel. So, you, fa you, you failed. Fan Forestick, you have failed this city. Luckily, the Kevin Feige and the Marvel Cinematic Universe has gotten their hands back with the Fantastic Four and as well X-Men. Because, honestly, after sitting through Dark Phoenix, Fox has kind of lost his touch with the X-Men property. Even though you have New Mutants coming out, which I hope is better than Dark Phoenix. Because that is the second last X-Men film we're ever going to get from the Fox X-Men canon. And, but I'm glad that we're going to be getting a new version of Fantastic Four done right on the big screen pretty soon. Because Fox, you it's obvious to see that they just do not care for this, this, this property. Whatsoever, whatsoever, and Fanforsic is just boring. Number eight is Snow White and the Huntsman. Pretty controversial because when I saw the trailers, I was intrigued. I was intrigued about 
a different interpretation about Snow White, and they're going more darker. And when I saw the movie, I initially liked it when I first saw it. But then, over time, something happened to where I did not end up enjoying it as much as I did anymore. Don't get me wrong, it does have its positives. Chris Hemsworth, the action was nice, you do have some blood. The visual effects and cinematography and the musical score is epic. Charlie Stern does a good job as the evil queen. But Kristen Stewart is easily miscasted as Snow White. I know she has moved on from Twilight and from this. And she tried to prove herself to be an action star again with Snow White and the Huntsman. I mean Charlie's Angels 2019. I don't care about her independent films. Or Underwater. Because I'm done with, with Kristen Stewart as an actress. I've tried to give her benefit of the doubt after Snow White and the Huntsman. And you screwed up. Not only that, this is too dark. It's too gritty. Not to mention, it becomes pretty boring at times. When there's not an action scene. And the fact that this made money and was able to spawn a sequel... Which failed, thank goodness, which is on this list too, is beyond me. And the whole I, thing with Christian Stewart and the director having an affair and her cheating on Robert Pattinson, I know this, this stuff. But Snow White and the Huntsman is just a wasted potential of what could have been a fun movie. I... When I saw it, I did like it back then, but now, I this is just not good. I sorry. If you like Snow White and the Huntsman, more power to you. I just did not like this film whatsoever. It was boring. It's lame. The writing was tr- was bad. The direction is good. Cinematography is good. It has its good moments, but overall, this is just not a very good film. Coming in 7th place, M. Night Shyamalan strikes again with After Earth. Ooh, M. Night Shyamalan. Luckily, he's back on the horse now with the visit, splits, and the insanely underrated glass. But this was 2013. And After Earth, you have, a, you have an interesting idea from M. Night Shyamalan and Will Smith, who also helped came up with the story. And you have Will Smith as Cypher Range. Awesome name, by the way. And you have his son, Jaden Smith, who he's trying to pass off as an actor. But the only the only movies I do like him in is The Day the Earth Stood Still to a certain extent. The Karate Kid 2010 and The Pursuit of Happiness. Because this movie, he's just overacting. Try, he doesn't come off convincing as the lead and the effects are atrocious Will Smith is doing the best that he can but this writing and this direction by M. Night Shyamalan is just b- the most generic sci-fi boring film that comes off as not entertaining not fun or the least bit coherent you do have Zoe Kravitz and Isabel Furman in a cameo, which is cool. And I will say that there is interesting ideas to be had in this movie. It's just M. Night Shyamalan, after The Last Airbender, he fell pretty hard with this movie. And it took the visit, glass, and splits to get for him to get back on his feet. There is a reason why Will Smith is not a fan of this movie. There is a reason why he disowns this movie. There is a reason why M. Night Shyamalan disowns this movie. As well as The Happening. But The Happening is a better film than this. Because it's not an amazing film. But it's somewhat great comedy guilty pleasure that I can enjoy. And as bad as The Last Airbender is, and trust me, I was this close to putting The Last Airbender on this list. There are moments where I can enjoy, but After Earth, no. Big fail. Coming to number five, or number six, The Huntsman Winter's War. This is another, this came out in 2016. 
and I still remember how uninterested I was, how bored I was throughout this entire movie. First of all, you did have an interesting concept. You're trying to be a sequel and a prequel, and that is the most confusing part. But the interesting part is that you give the evil queen a sister, which she is the ice sister, played by Emily Blunt, who is doing the absolute best that she can with the material that she is given. But the way this movie is written, you try to make her more like Elsa. And Jessica Chastain as Chris Hemsworth's love interest and awesome, strong female lead, she's not a problem. And Chris Hemsworth is not really the problem. Luckily, Kristen Stewart, she said no and went on to do her independent films. Good for her. Because if she was in this movie, I, I would have felt even more sorry. Be, Chris Hemsworth and Charlie Stern, Jessica Chastain, Thing. And the cast is trying, but it's just some of the ideas they have are not used to a full advantage. The, the, and the movie becomes pretty lame at times. It's only an hour and 54 minutes. And then you try to pass this off as a Ice Queen, Snow Queen versus the Evil Queen story, and it fails. You failed this city once again, Huntsman Winter's War. There is a reason why this movie didn't do high in the U.S. There is a reason why there has not been a third Snow White and the Huntsman movie at all. And this is what happens when you don't take advantage of something that you can make interesting and you make boring and make lazy. The only good things in here is the acting, cinematography, the action, the effects are nice, even the musical score and the soundtrack is decent, but it doesn't even come close to saving this film from being on this list whatsoever, because any good thing means nothing when the rest of your movie, The Huntsman Winter's War, is complete and other dog crap. And that is all I have to say about that film. Coming in fourth place is Jack and Jill. Adam Sandler. This guy is can be very funny. And he can be very funny. He is a funny actor. He's a funny guy. And I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet. But I've heard lots of great things. And I do plan on watching Uncut Gems. Because I do... Because this movie is easily his worst comedy he's ever done. The jokes in this movie are so not funny. Jill becomes so freaking annoying. And she annoys Adam Sandler. She annoys me and everyone else too. And this, the, the whole, whole time I was sitting there, I was just like, why do you have... All these good actors like Katie Holmes and Al Pacino and Shaquille O'Neal, who's not even a, an actor, but a basketball star. How do you mess this up completely and make it suck? You just completely do a full 180 and none of your jokes are funny. None of the humor is funny. None, anything in this movie doesn't even... The only thing that came close to funny was the Dunkin' Chino commercial. And the Johnny Depp cameo was pretty cool. That is about it. That is it. Because everything else is just blah. Not funny. Boring. Jack and Jill went up the hill and fell asleep and angered me to the best of my abilities. And when I eventually do the, review this for a cinematic abomination of the week part of my new series, you bet you this is going to get a very heated rant because you deserve it. Piece of crap. Stupid film. Because Jack and Jill, I don't know how some people, this movie almost took home all of the Golden Raspberry Awards. Almost. This took Whew, Jack and Jill is not funny. 
I don't know how much more I can take talking about this because I've already wasted enough time. So let's just go into the top four. My number four is the Bye Bye Man. The Bye Bye Man. This had an interesting idea of a killer where if you say his name or think about him, you die. And this is written by two contestants from Survivor and directed by Stacy Title. So when when I saw advertisements for this, this had promise. This could have easily been the next big thing. This could have easily been the next Nightmare on Elm Street, the next big horror franchise where you have a killer named the Bye Bye Man and if you say his name or too many times or think about his name, you die. But the characters were so uninteresting. The way they executed the story was so disinteresting. Douglas Smith, great actor, dude, but Doug Jones, even a great actor himself, is wasted. And he is the main guy. And people dying in unthinkable ways. This, this should have been something cool. This should have been something creepy. And it just wasn't. And you have great actors like Faye Dunaway. The legendary Faye Dunaway. Carrie Ann Moss. Douglas Booth. And the unknown actors who in this movie. You have some talent here. And they're not used to a full advantage. And this movie was not scary. It was just PG-13 boredom. I was bored. It didn't, I wasn't scared, it wasn't interesting, it wasn't creepy, it wasn't frightening, it wasn't anything that I was hoping it would be, because this is what happens when you have an interesting premise, and you just rip off other movies like The Ring or The Grudge, where you have to say, don't say it, don't think it, it's just, this is just anger-inducing frustrating to get through and just very boring to get through there is almost little to nothing I like in here this is just not cool this is not cool this is not even the least bit remotely scary and I have had you know talking about this thing I do not want to ever go back and rewatch this ever again. Number three is Skyline. Another movie that has an interesting story. Problem is that it's directed by the Brothers Strauss, who they made Alien vs. Predator Requiem, and that's not even the good movie, but it's kind of like Guilty Pleasure. However, does that save? Is that enough for me to give you a pass for this movie? No! It's not! This... This movie... What I experienced was just so dumb. The characters were so interesting. This direction was not even competent. The writing wasn't even competent. The only thing you have going for you is a few actors trying, and you have this idea of these aliens taking people, invading every city in the world. Luckily, this was managed to get a sequel, because this is a movie that was strictly made for made to lifetime, or sci-fi, and it shows in its budget. It doesn't even feel like a complete... A complete film that just angers you on the worst moments. And when they die, you don't even see how they die because it's PG-13. And just, this movie is just a waste of potential here. Just like School Dance, just like Snow White and the Huntsman, just like freaking Hunt After Earth and the Huntsman Witch's War. Number two, Venom. Technically, some people is going to say this isn't the worst thing ever, but to me, it is. To me, Venom 
I wasn't even looking forward to this movie because there was no Spider-Man and it's because it seems unnecessary and it seemed boring and disinteresting. But Tom Hardy, great casting. He is one of the few bright spots in this movie besides Michelle Williams who is severely underused. The song Venom by Eminem was really cool. When Venom shows up, that's where I I kind of cared, but I didn't because I was still bored out of my freaking skull watching this movie. And this movie commits unspeakable crimes that I cannot forgive. This movie was heavily interfered by Sony. You could tell that this was only made just to set up a universe. And it shows. The first 40 minutes was boring. The script and dialogue was terrible, which I shouldn't be surprised since this is the writer of the Fifty Shades trilogy. And the villain played by Riz Ahmad is laughably, atrociously horrendous. When Venom shows up on the screen, it's actually pretty cool. And this movie is way is PG-13 rated for no reason. When you have a character like Venom biting heads off in the comics, killing people in violent ways with his alien symbiotes, that is not PG-13 friendly. That should easily be a hard R. And I'm sorry, you need Spider-Man in this movie for it to work. Now I know they couldn't connect him at the time to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but now with the new deal with Sony and Disney and Marvel for Spider-Man to be used in both universes, you could easily connect him to Morbius, which I am excited for, and to Venom 2. And I am afraid that Venom 2 will be more of the same exact thing as this. So I do hope that the villain carnage can be better. I do hope that Andy Serkis can make a better film than this. I am counting on him because it is still one of my least anticipated movies of 2020. And this, and this movie shows exactly why. Boring, boring. But now for my number one worst movie of the 2010s. This is the movie that angers me the most, and it deserves to be number one for all of the right reasons. And that movie is none other than this horrible romance movie I like to call After, or The Afterbirth, or the rip-off college wannabe of Twilight Fifty Shades Grey. Based on this fan fiction by Anna Todd, One Direction fanfiction that was released on Wattpad, then sold out as books to across the globe by Anna Todd. I am still in utter belief and shock. And I still cannot believe that a $14 million budget that could have went to something great went to this. This movie was painful for me to get through. I had to sit through this movie on three different occasions. The first time, I fell asleep because I was exhausted. The second time, I fell asleep because I was bored out of my mind. The third time, I sat through an hour and 46 minutes of the most boring, the most un uninteresting, the most lazily written romance. Just because you came out in April, after, don't think I have not forgotten about your sorry ass. Because this movie does everything wrong with the romance genre. Especially young adult romance. I know there are some fans who do like the movie, who has read the book, or non-after readers who like the movie. And I know there are people who loves the books and who hated this movie, and those who has not read the after books and did like the movie. I'm in the minority, because when I think about this movie, I get so mad. I get so frustrated easily that a studio as Avalon Pictures and a director, Jenny Gage, and the producers actually thought this was a good idea. 
Now on paper, I'll give you this, on paper, this could have easily gone somewhere about Tessa Young, who is a dedicated college student, and she decides to go to freshman year of college, and she falls for a bad boy, who she's not attracted to at first, but the problem is, I don't care about the two leads, and these two leads... Josephine Langford, who is the real-life sister of Catherine Langford, who is doing the absolute best that she can with this material to work with, and Hero Finds Tiffin, who is the nephew of Ralph Fiennes, who I saw Hero Finds Tiffin in Harry Potter and have blood prints multiple times. The problem is that they're given the two most unlikable, horribly written characters. Harden comes off as a stalker to Tessa, being a creep, creepster at the beginning of the movie where Tessa nicely, politely asks him to leave the room and he says, I'm not looking. Then, and then, and then, Tessa ch cheats on her high school boyfriend, which I know that, that is in the book, but they change stuff here. And not to mention, when you... When when she when you she cheats on the high school's sweetheart boyfriend Noah, you're supposed to feel bad for her, right? And you have this music that tries to make me feel bad for her. And just like Anastasia Steele from Fifty Shades, just like her, Tessa keeps going back to this guy every single time she does something wrong. And then. That's not even the real reason why I'm so mad after. The real reason why I'm so frustrated and so angered with this movie is because of its message to women, to girls, and to boys. The message that you send that, that it's okay to cheat on your board high school sweetheart or your college sweetheart or anybody, that is not cool. That's not a positive message you should be sending, man. And the fact that you romanticizes abuse. And, the, and then these two characters are so unlikable, I didn't even care if they went there in love. I didn't care. The writing was atrocious. The direction was bad. Then... This movie has so many inconsistencies and plot holes that I couldn't even count on how many times times Tessa makes a mistake. The, but the only good parts of this movie, don't get me wrong, I did have some positives. Josephine Langford tried. The cinematography was good. Some of the other cast members tried. The, mu the music was nice. The production design was nice. But... Everything else is what makes this movie horrible, especially that message that you want to send. And then, that's not even the worst part. The worst part is how this movie ends. Because you have this twist. You're trying to pass off that they were only dating because it was a dare. No, you do not pull a twist like that and expect to get away with it. No! But the worst part of this abomination against humanity this lazily stupid romance movie is that it's getting a freaking sequel and this is going to become a franchise of all the movies that can be a franchise I can't believe we can't get a sequel to Dread we can't get a sequel to Man of Steel we can't even get a sequel to The Nice Guys which is a really good Shane Black movie but we are getting a sequel we can't even get a sequel to Elite Battle Angel yet but yes we're getting sequels to after. Wow. Just wow. Because I can only assure that these after movies are just going to get worse. And worse. And worse. And, and more and more and more worse. This, I was not entertained by any of this stupidity any of this boredom any of this freaking crap this is a stinking stinking pile of dog crap hell i i can i never want to watch this movie 
ever again after I'm done talking about it. So that's an extreme anger for your ass after. So, let me know in the comments below what did you think of this worst movies of the decades. Do you like this list? Do you not like it? What are some of your least favorites? I'm sorry if I screamed, if I went off for a little longer on my number one. Be sure to follow me on all my social media links to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Stardust, Letterboxd, my merchandise store, my official website. And if you want... If you want to donate any money, send money to the channel or send fan mail, you can feel free to do so through Chime. And, through, and you guys keep it cool and join the epitaskness.